0: Hundred ninety dollars off its energy bills. You're listening to the news on RTHK. With music, news and information, this is Radio 3.
1: Good morning from me, Peter Lewis. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on the final day of the week, Friday the 21st of April, and this is Money Talk on Radio 3. Unemployment in Hong Kong has risen to its highest level in nine months. The city's jobless rates climbed to 5% in March, up from 4.5% the month before. Underemployment also edged up by 0.8 percentage points to 3.1%. President Xi Jinping defended China's zero Covid policy on Thursday and sought to reassure the world that China was committed to opening its economy. Speaking by video link at the opening ceremony of the Bao Forum on Hainan Island, he said we need to work together to defend people's lives and health. Safety and health are the prerequisite for human development and progress. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell signalled yesterday that the US Central Bank is prepared to raise rates by 50 basis points in May and he indicated similar rate rises could be warranted after that. He told an IMF panel on the global economy, we really are committed to using our tools to get 2% inflation back. The President of the World Bank, David Malpass, said the world is facing a human catastrophe from a food crisis arising from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Food prices worldwide are at their highest since records began 60 years ago, according to the UN Price Index. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Ferris from UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management and Mark Michelson at IMA Asia. Discussing the surge in global food prices is James McCormack of Fitch Ratings.
0: Money talk on RTHK Radio
1: 3. The prospect of more aggressive rate increases from the Fed sent U.S. stocks and Treasury bonds lower overnight. The S&P 500 suffered a sharp reversal, losing a gain of 1.2% in the morning session to close 1.5% lower at 4394 The Dow gave up a gain of 331 points to end the day down 368 points at 34,793. The Nasdaq Composite dropped 2.1% to 13,175, dragged lower by technology shares. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index rose a third of a percent, while in London the FTSE 100 was unchanged on the day. Chinese stocks plunged following President Xi Jinping's speech on disappointment that there wasn't going to be any let-up at China's zero-COVID policy. Hong Kong stocks suffered a third day of losses. The Hang Seng Index ended the day down 262 points, or 1.3%, at a five-week low of 20,682. The Hang Seng Tech Index slumped 3.5%, dropping below the 4,000 level for the first time since March 16th. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite tumbled 2.9%, 2.3%, sorry, falling below the key 3,100 level to 3,080. China's top offshore oil and gas producer, Sinuk, surged by the maximum allowed 44% on its debut in Shanghai, raising 28 billion yuan, that's 4.3 billion US dollars, in its Shanghai listing. CNOOC was delisted from the New York Stock Exchange in October following a Trump administration executive order banning U.S. investment in companies deemed to be part of China's military-industrial complex. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is up 1.5% at $108.79 a barrel. Gold dropped a third of a percent to $1,953 an ounce. And the 10-year t- Treasury bond yield was up 11 basis points at one stage before settling seven basis points higher at 2.91%. That's near the highest level since uh, since late 2018. And the US dollar is firmer this morning. The euro traded at dollar eight and a third cents. The bucks at uh, 128 and a half Japanese yen. Sterling is worth dollar thirty and a quarter cents and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 22 cents. The offshore Chinese yuan dropped half a percent and is close to 6.48 against the US dollar for the first time since September 2021, and Bitcoin dropped 2% to $40,400. Looking around the Asian Pacific markets this morning, not surprisingly, they're all in the red. The SX200 in Australia is down 0.9%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is down 1.6% shortly after the Open. The Cosby in South Korea are also off over 1%. And bad news for Hong Kong investors, futures markets pointing to a fall of 480 points for the Hang Seng at the Open later on this morning. time's just gone 808 and a half let's welcome our guests we have us on the phone from somewhere in europe andrew ferris chief strategist at ucap hong kong asset management man of mystery good morning to you andrew well, it's, it's London, very
2: boring basically but anyway somewhere in Europe fair enough. <laughs> not I... in the European Union mind
1: you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, I hope you can get back one day Also with us here in the studio is Mark Michelson, chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Morning to you Mark. Good morning Peter and Andrew and I was about to correct you Andrew but you've, you corrected yourself <laughs> 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 Now Hong Kong took a step towards normality yesterday as restrictions on some businesses were eased as the city's Omicron outbreak waned. in sports for Facilities, beauty parlours, cinemas, and religious premises were allowed to reopen, having been forced to close in January, and restaurants can remain operating until 10 pm instead of 6 pm. The relaxation of Covid rules also means local tours can return, but the nightlife sector remains closed with bars, pubs, karaoke lounges and mahjong parlours among businesses that have to remain closed and borders remain largely closed with a one-week quarantine rule in place for residents returning to the city. Andrew, you're missing all of this, um, but if you can get back, do you think uh, this is a sign maybe that we are returning to normal or have we still got a long way to go? Actually,
2: actually, it's not a matter of relief. I know exactly when I'm returning back and British Airways just cancels my flight. Now, I want to grasp one specific point, and that is the issue with the airlines. And please, uh, Peter, correct me if I'm wrong. The famous lifting of the restrictions of flights from British Airways, from uh, uh, United Airlines, I mean, American Airlines, several European Airlines, concerned only flights that are taking home Hong Kong residents Mm. and everybody. Which means a swathe of major airlines really don't bother to fly back to Hong Kong. I mean, it's it's very peculiar uh, situation. It is not a matter that it ails the expats. (laughs) It ails the business community in Hong Kong, and of course, it ails, it also ails Hong Kong uh, Mm. residents. Okay. So I I forgotten what the question you are asking me, but the answer is no. It doesn't look right.
1: Well, yes. <laughs> on, on, the, on, the, on the flight front, I can tell you that on Monday this week, there were just 14 arrivals at Hong Kong International Airport, none of which were from outside of Asia. On Tuesday and Wednesday, only a single flight touched down in Hong Kong from outside APAC. Mm. Uh, Mark.
2: Well, what? actually, my, my, my favorite statistics is the arrivals in Hong Kong over 19, 20 and 21 and 22. And they've dropped down to... 90,000 from approximately 55 or 60 million. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I shouldn't be laughing, but it is, it is, it is absurd. Okay.
1: Mark, from, from a business perspective, I've had businesses say to me, look, this is now the third year that they've been forced to close for maybe three or four months a year. And they say this is killing small businesses and it's really giving the impression that Hong Kong is no longer business friendly. Is that fair or, you know, is that maybe? Well,
3: all the, you know, the the polls of the various chambers, business organizations reinforce what you've just said. In addition to people within our group, it's, you know, it's it's pro- it's promising that they're easing the situation in Hong Kong and, and relaxing some of the rules. But as Andrew just pointed out, on the ground, and it's true for China too, on the ground, even as they ease rules, actually in terms of the implementation, it's very spotty and inconsistent, and very hard to plan. And of course, for a business, uh, that makes it even even more challenging. And I'm hearing the same thing that Andrew just reported from, from a lot of the members of our group. They're trying to get out, trying to come in, and still have the same problems. And, and some airlines haven't flown here. For a long time, including United Airlines.
1: say they're not going to come and say, I think United United Uh, has been
3: gone for over a year. mm. So, you know, this this is going to be slowly, slowly, and it's the inconsistency that's the real issue. So, what this means is that people are staying away.
1: Can, can you explain to me why a restaurant is allowed to re- reopen, but if you're a bar or a pub or a karaoke lounge, you can't? I, I cannot. I, unless there's
3: data that that indicates that you're more likely to get sick in, in a bar or karaoke than you are in a in, in, in a restaurant. I, I don't know what the reason is. Or gyms. <laughs>
2: Actually, uh, P- Peter, I will add something onto that, which is completely anecdotal logical and it's not quantifiable at all. I had just been to Austrian business and also here in the UK. Austria has lifted all restrictions, but I can tell you, everybody was wearing a mask and I visited the equivalent of the BBC in Austria and I have to take a test before I entered, mm. a medical test, not, uh, you know, I went to boot, went the equivalent of Watson's got my test presented to them. No, they sent me to a pharmacy across the street and I received it. So in other words, it is not true that the Europeans dropping it. They are living with it, but they're living with it intelligently. Yeah. I mean, this is what actually shocked me. The same thing in UK. You know, people are absolutely terrified of catching it. They're wearing masks, they're taking tests and they're not being stupid. And although, of course, free of them, you know, restaurants are open till any time at night, public transport is completely free, and of course, flights in and out, both of Austria and uk UK, completely free.
1: Well, the governments argue against why we can't do that, yeah. and why we can't go yeah. the European and US route and live with this, is that too yeah. many elderly yeah. people will die uh, from, yeah. from COVID. What, what do you say to that?
2: Well, uh, my answer is twofold. One, I have to be incredibly careful, and that is, has been immense resistance by all people of getting vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is a free country, as they say, and if you want not to be vaccinated, then you're the risk of dying. The other part is, of course, is to convince them. Okay, and of course, the government in Hong Kong has been incredibly careful not to force vaccination. Incidentally, in swathes of uh, public employees in Austria, you have to be vaccinated. You don't get vaccinated, you don't end up to job.
3: It's a matter of credibility too. It's not just the Hong Kong mm. government that doesn't have it, but you know, people don't don't trust governments. Uh, you know, the, Singapore might be an exception, frankly. They've been pretty effective at doing this, but mm. but other places, it's, it's a real problem, including the United States. You mentioned you 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 combine the U.S. and Europe, U.S. Has is not doing the things that Andrew just described, and I'm not sure what mm-hmm. the consequences are going to be. But in terms of the the direct effects on our clients, I can't. You know, even though things have opened up, it's very difficult for me to hold a live meeting because half the people aren't here. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they're they're like Andrew. They're they're in the UK or they're in Singapore or somewhere else. And what's also happened, I think I've mentioned this before, is at least five or six of our members major. Major international companies have uh, have moved their their head of Asia out of out of Hong Kong and haven't replaced he or she and are not going to and not just to Singapore maybe back to headquarters is this temporary or permanent? Mm-hmm. It's happened before but it's never been at this pace. Mm-hmm. And, so, and question: Are they coming back? I don't know.
2: Yeah, Peter, without without personalizing it because this is really of complete irrelevance. I've told you my flight back to Hong Kong just got canceled. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> so that, that I puts, want to come back to Hong Kong, and I can't.
1: <laughs> mm. So that it puts people off, doesn't it, travelling in the first place? Um, if if you think uh, you know at a whim, uh, your flight might get cancelled and you get stranded somewhere. I have a friend who has a diplomatic passport.
3: Was, was Switzerland? His flight got cancelled three or four different times. Mm. I mean,
1: luckily yeah. they they've got the flexibility, but it's it's unfortunately it's pretty typical. Well, we've got some data to quantify a little bit more about what's going on. Unemployment in Hong Kong has risen to the highest level in nine months. The city's jobless rate climbed to 5% up in March, up from 4.5% the month before. Underemployment also edged up by 0.8 uh, percentage points to 3.1%. The government said the job market worsened in almost all major economic sectors. Andrew, do you think, well, maybe we're, we're sort of reaching a peak? I know maybe we've got another month or so to go uh, before things open up even more, but do you think uh, this, this can climb back?
2: Well, the, the answer to that has to be modified by the 5 plus 5,000 Hong Kong dollars, which is about to be spent, and that may just put a ceiling, okay? But then uh, this is, these are all one-offs. So I would not go around and say, hey, look, you know, two months' time, the unemployment has come down, and I would say, yeah, because of a one-off injection of uh, 5 plus 5,000 Hong Kong dollars. So um, I'm reluctant. The issue, of course, about ho- unemployment in Hong Kong is that there are no unemployment benefits. Anywhere else, you will say, yes, it has gone up, but at least people will receive some subsidy. Well, not in the case of Hong Kong, where the subsidies are both haphazard. Uh, what the government is doing, again, is subsidizing uh, salaries, less than 30,000 in small, in SME companies, which is useful, which is nice. But again, it's one off.
3: Yeah, that that that's the issue. And, and you know, it troubles me that the IMF has dropped its forecast to 0.5% mm. for the year. And we're, you know, at I may we're a little bit higher, but I expect we're going to drop it as well. So don't have much confidence going forward. I don't know if Andrew thinks the same, but at least for the rest of the year.
2: Why, why, whilst, as we both agreed, that they are trying to dismantle uh, the, the the consequences of zero zero COVID policy, and the dismantling is haphazard, inconsistent, and sometimes, as Peter pointed out, why is a, is a bar different from a restaurant? <laughs> well, no, it isn't, but it is. Okay, then, uh, as you say, it doesn't does uh, doesn't hugely improve your your sense of uh, both security
3: and confidence. Do you, do you and think it's that, the, well, it's the inconsistency too, when now we have a policy, that, at least in China, is called societal zero COVID, which I guess is sort of like mm-hmm. dynamic zero COVID. And again, it's it's inconsistent, it's not clear where it's gonna be open, where it's gonna be closed, and we just pointed out. So it's really hard to operate, both personally and, and, and professionally. Now, President-
2: you know, I love- Sorry, I love, I love definitional aspects. I remember from the time of the Vietnam War when the CIA said, no, they were not using weapons, they were using anti-personnel devices. So yes. well, that was called fragmentation yeah. bombs. Yeah. So, yeah. so you have societal, dynamic COVID uh, restricting. Sorry, what does it mean? Yeah, It means you simply stop, we'll be moving. Full stop. That's, that's right. what it means.
3: <laughs> well, they can move from one street in Shanghai and then can't move to another. Mm. So that's, that's... Well, President
2: yeah, I, Xi Jinping...
0: President yeah. Xi Jinping.
2: Sorry, def- I hasten to add, I hasten to add I don't, I'm, I'm not comparing CIA policy in Vietnam with no. what's happened in China. I'm simply comparing the definitional aspects. Mm. Okay, otherwise I will be terminated with extreme prejudice. Yes.
1: <laughs> well, President Xi Jinping he defended China's zero COVID policy on Thursday, sought to reassure the world that China was committed to opening up. He was speaking in the Bao Forum, saying we need to work together to defend people's lives and health, and safety and health are the prerequisite for human development and progress. The markets, the Chinese markets were pretty disappointed. Um, first of all, that there wasn't any acknowledgement at all of the economic consequences of, of this policy and the impact on it. And also no sign at all that this policy is going to be um sort of relaxed. What why why is it um that um you know the, 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 the government doesn't seem to want to relax this at all? Is it maybe that it just hasn't got the tools or the sufficient measures to to try and boost the economy. What what is it exactly that's holding them back? Well, my yeah, Andrew can talk about this. As well, uh, I, I'm not
3: sure. One of the things is, and I'm not a doctor, a medical doctor. That's that's for sure. But one of the things is that this this variant of Omicron is extremely contagious, and even even if you have the resources and even if you have the experience, which
1: China has. It even overwhelms that, so but that's not so lethal, is then, it? I mean, if you look at the Chinese mortality numbers, pretty close to zero. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like you know, and probably
3: even, even if there's some more exactly. So it's mostly mild, and which is why the Europeans and others are taking it. So I, I think that's one part of the one part of the issue. Well,
2: I will I will venture there again. Uh, you know, I'm a doctor, thank God, but not a medical. one. Yeah. all right. Uh, I will venture the notion that uh, the fight of COVID has been politicized. In other words, COVID is a disease, full stop. Again, and uh, you cannot enter politics into virus. Actually viruses couldn't give a hood about politics. They carry on reproducing, they carry on transforming themselves. Mm. So the notion somehow that there is the political responsibility of the communist party to fight the virus, it should be, I'm not giving advice for God's sakes, but somehow it has become us versus COVID. Which is which is a little bit silly because it is the society together against a medical issue,
4: mm-hmm. and
2: the medical issues are, are, are addressed by medical policies. And the notion that somehow you will be able to, at some future stage, have a China with zero COVID and then you open the frontiers is patently absurd. Because the moment you open the frontiers, you are you are a very big lake in an enormous sea of COVID. <laughs> you know, the lake would be instantly contaminated, so you know you'll be you'll be only going back again. That's why i you know, I, I, sometimes I really don't understand.
3: It's an election year too in China, as it is in a lot of, yeah. lot of other places, and that, that
1: that compounds what yeah. Andrew just said. Okay, yeah. well, great to hear your thoughts. Thank you both very much. That was Mark Michaelson, chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia, Andrew Ferris, who's chief strategist at UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management. <laughs>
0: You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. RTHK Radio
1: 3. Time's just gone 8.23. Food prices worldwide are at their highs since records began 60 years ago, according to the UN Food Price Index. And earlier this week, the World Bank warned that the world is facing a human catastrophe from a food crisis arising from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And Fitch Ratings, in its latest report, warned the war in Ukraine will increase food prices and inflation. Over in our Queensway studio now, we have James McCormack, who is Managing Director and Global Head of Sovereign and Supernational Ratings at Fitch Ratings. Morning, James. Hello, James. Can you hear me?
4: Yes, I can. OK, Hello. great. Good morning.
1: <laughs> Good morning to you. So tell us, first of all, how much of food prices going up? And in, and in particular, where are we seeing some
4: of the biggest increases? Well, we're seeing it almost everywhere. Uh, I think the you know if we sp- speak specifically about the Russia-Ukraine angle, then that is wheat and grains. But as you mentioned, the UN food uh, numbers show that it's a very broad-based increase and it's a multi-decade high. So it is really across the board. And and how much of
1: a threat is the Ukraine war? Posing to global food supplies is this sort of the equivalent of you know the the oil price shock of the nineteen seventies maybe? Uh,
4: maybe I wouldn't put it quite in that context, but it's certainly an important factor. Um, the, the between Russia and Ukraine, they're an important supplier of wheat and other grains, but also fertilizer which maybe is a story that doesn't get covered quite as much. So countries in South America, for example, in some in sub-Saharan Africa, rely quite a bit on the fertilizers that come from um, either Russia or Ukraine. So there are some concerns about food production in, in countries like Brazil, for example. And Brazil mm. is a very important supplier in terms of, uh, you know one of the world's largest suppliers in terms of food supplies. So, so there's a knock-on effect here uh, it's not just food, it's the inputs that go into food that's grown elsewhere.
1: And energy as well, because you need, obviously, energy to, to go and harvest the food afterwards.
4: Yeah, I, I, I suppose when we look at commodity prices, it's, it, again, it really is across the board. It's energy, it's metals, and it's agriculture, which mm. pretty much covers everything. All of those prices have been rising.
1: So the, the problem is, though, isn't it, that there's maybe around five or six countries that supply, um, you know, maybe 70 percent of global agricultural commodities, and the UK, Russia, uh, the Ukraine, Russia region, is responsible about for about a third of global exports of wheat, sixty-five percent of sunflower. So presumably, the disruption that we're seeing in these these supplies is going to create a massive ongoing problem.
4: Well, that's the worry. Um, is that there? There's no obvious alternative source of supply for for some of the food products. I'm not suggesting that we're all going to run out of food um, but but it you know supply conditions are going to be tight prices are not going to be coming back down and you know inflation has bigger implications the lower your income level is so there are definitely some concerns about social stability as well. It it sort of has a knock-on effect though doesn't it throughout the whole uh,
1: supply chain even though you have these core sort of six countries it then starts feeding through uh to to other countries like you mentioned Brazil and 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 other places around the world
4: yeah that's right uh you know food is food is a common factor. It's not as if there's a country that doesn't need it. So it really is a, a global phenomenon. And it comes at a time when inflation in other areas is, is, is was already rising as well. Growth is slowing. So, you know, it's not a positive global macro backdrop into which we drop this, uh, this food supply issue. I mean, tell me about some of the implications then of these
1: soaring prices. The World Bank was warning this week that there's basically a food crisis. Um, And as always, when you have um, problems in the food chain, it's the poorest countries in the world that suffer the most.
4: Yeah, that's right. I think the primary concern really is around social unrest and potential social instability. We've already seen that earlier in the year in Kazakhstan. It wasn't related to food specifically, it was fuel prices, but the concept is the same. I think there are some genuine concerns about rising inflation in emerging markets. The question is, you know, what a pol- what what can policymakers do about that? Typically when prices are rising, you turn to monetary policy. Monetary tightening is not going to help the food supply situation. So then the onus uh, turns to fiscal policy. Governments can try to step in to support uh, the poor and we've certainly seen a lot of that. We put out some research last month that showed that you know a a very high number of countries are are spending money essentially. Governments are spending money to do just that.
1: So are emerging markets going to bear the brunt of this?
4: Yes, um, there's no question about that. The governments are less well positioned to provide support and clearly income levels are lower. Food is a larger share of the consumption basket.
1: So the Fed's getting very concerned about this overnight. James Powell, uh, Jerome Powell was talking about uh, half half a percentage point increase at the next meeting and possibly the two meetings after that um, as well. We're going to see this dramatic increase in uh, in interest rates, certainly at the Fed and possibly elsewhere as well. Is it going to be enough to stabilise prices? Is this the sort of thing that even interest rate rises can do anything about?
4: Not the food supply situation, no, but clearly the secondary effects and the inflation expectations, yes. I think the market expectation now is 50 basis points at the next Fed meeting. The Fed is just kind of aligning themselves with that. 50 basis points after is certainly a possibility. Most people have been moving their expectations of Fed rate increases higher. Look, as I said you know earlier, inflation is a real thing. Lower growth, higher inflation, policymakers need to respond.
1: Well, when food prices go up, people tend to notice that more, don't they? Than maybe other other things. Does that in turn then uh, increase people's expectations of f- future inflation and and start to get those expectations anchored a mu- uh,
4: at much higher levels? Absolutely. Food and fuel are the two key. Prices that matter most. It's hard to escape those price increases. Everybody uses fuel in some way or another, and everybody needs food. So there are certain things you can move out of your consumption basket. Those two things you rarely can, and they take up, as I said, relatively large share of the uh, consumption basket for people at lower income levels. And are we
1: seeing as a result people cutting back on other areas, and uh, you know things like their Netflix subscriptions, for example, which uh, Netflix reported this week.
4: Yeah, well, Netflix, Netflix prices also went up. So that mm-hmm. is the, one of the consequences of higher prices. Is yeah, people di- either consume less or divert their consumption elsewhere.
1: Okay, James. Thank you very much indeed. That's James McCormack, Managing Director, Global Head of Sovereign and Supernatural Ratings, Supernational Ratings at Fitch Ratings. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio Three. Rather the gloomy end to the week in Asian stocks. The ASX 200 right now is off one and a half percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is down one and three quarter percent. The Cosby in South Korea is off one percent. And futures markets pointing to a loss of almost 500 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. That's it for me this week. Have a great weekend. Stay tuned uh, for the news and then the COVID updates with Janice Wong. The weather forecast for today and the weekend, mainly cloudy, one or two showers, misty in the morning and at night, uh, hot with sunny periods in the afternoon. Maximum temperature is going to be around 29 degrees and then sunny intervals and a few showers in the next few days. Hot during the day, 24 degrees right now, 86% relative humidity.
0: Just gone 8.31, here's Andrew Shrofsky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. Hong Kong's unemployment rate has risen to 5%, its highest in nine months. Labour chief Law Chi Kwong says the job market came under severe pressure in the fifth wave of the epidemic. An economist from Texas, Gary Ng, says he expects unemployment to rise further.
2: It's quite likely that there's like some room for increase to around 5.2%. It's not like a massive increase. However, uh, indeed, things has not really improved that much in the, I mean, most of the April. And therefore, uh, it's quite likely that a lot of employers may still be rather uh, conservative in terms of employing more people. And of course, beyond the domestic uh, restriction, there's also a risk that Hong Kong is facing uh, uneven recovery in different sectors. And of course, on the one hand, finance and logic, uh, have done quite well, and retail, catering, accommodation, or construction will probably pick up when the restrictions are lifted.
0: A green group is appealing to volunteers to help move bags of garbage from Tap Moon, otherwise known as Grass Island. The site near Sai Kung is popular with campers and day trippers. The environmental association said some 80 kilograms of trash in garbage bags had been left on the island apparently by volunteers doing beach cleanups who were then unable to carry the rubbish to a refuse collection point eric kong a project manager with the association said the government should do more to raise awareness among people not to leave their rubbish behind we have reported to the government department different
3: The area is really remote and so I think we will motivate some volunteers to go to the areas to take away some of
0: the starvation help to protect the environment. U.S. prosecutors have charged the former president of Honduras, Juan Orlando Hernandez, with conspiring to traffic huge amounts of cocaine into the United States. The U.S. Justice Department said Mr. Hernandez, who was extradited on Thursday, received millions of dollars from drug gangs, including Mexico's Sinaloa cartel. Mr. Hernandez denies wrongdoing and says the charges are part of a conspiracy.
4: May the truth be revealed and prevail during my case. I am innocent. I have been and still am being treated in an unjust process. I want to echo some powerful words that say, injustice occurring anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere.
0: The International Energy Agency and the European Commission have jointly outlined simple steps to cut energy use to lessen dependence on Russian oil and gas and thereby help Ukraine. They say the steps will also reduce citizens' bills. They include turning down heating, improving insulation, and using public transport when possible. The IEA says if all EU citizens heeded the recommendations, it would save enough oil to fill 120 supertankers and enough gas to heat. 20 million homes. The news from RTHK.